Microbial Nation. This is John, your host, and I am here with our guest, Cameron Owen. He is the co-founder of Our Bio. How are you doing today? I'm doing all right. Thanks for having me. So first off, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. So I've launched a couple companies here recently, uh, the past couple of years. Found my way into microbiology when I was really in college. So that's how the whole uh, biological science to start. Did grad school, uh, master's of healthcare management at Johns Hopkins. So uh, I know we're going to talk about some awesome things today, things that I enjoy talking about as somebody with a uh, microbiology background. So what in your undergrad got you interested in microbiology? Yeah, uh, you know, I've always been a, a pretty biologically minded person. Uh, I've always thought it was fascinating that there's a whole another world that exists really right in front of our nose that we typically don't interact with until oftentimes something goes wrong, uh, which was the case for me when I was a, a sophomore uh, in college, I contracted viral meningitis. And it really, uh, as someone who already had a love for biology, really solidified it for me because I was, I was interested in the fact that, you know, things that we can't see or really experience on a day-to-day basis can come across and, and, and hurt you pretty badly. So I, I really got into, uh, got into it there in, in my undergrad. I have to say, it's probably one of the most intense answers I've heard from anyone on how they got into <laughs> microbiology. Yeah. Yeah. I, I got, I didn't get into microbiology. Microbiology got into me, I guess, both figuratively and I guess literally as well. <laughs> I mean, I, I, mine isn't as intense. I went for nursing because my family was in healthcare and I took a microbiology class and that really, you know, seeded the idea of microbiology for me. Sure. It's a fascinating field. You know, I, I know a lot of people who don't feel that way. I know a lot of people that feel that way, but I'm, I'm one of the people that thinks that, you know, there's just, there's so much excitement and we, we just never interact with it. That's very true. Can you tell us a little bit about your startup Arbio? Yeah, sure. I would say we are a synthetic biology company, certainly a new and emerging field, a lot of interest there. We as a company invented some new cell lines uh, by writing the genome, really not too dissimilar from the way that, that a programmer or, or computer scientist would, would write a piece of, of software. So that's really how the company got started. You know, Fast forward a couple of years, we're now here on the tail end of uh, a research study with Washington University that's supposed to, or it looks like it's going to wrap up by the end of this month. So, you know, I've already seen some of the early data and things that are going to be coming out of that research. Uh, and it's, it's pretty exciting. Some of the things that we're doing, uh, really our main focus is to bring pharmaceutical supply chains back here uh, onto domestic soil. And I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about some of the, the ways at which we're doing it, but that's certainly the, the major goal of the company. So, you're a co-founder of this company. What was your drive for starting it? You know, that's also another uh, interesting story. A couple of years ago, uh, I wanted to pursue a PhD in synthetic biology. You know, there was a lot of uh, exciting breakthroughs and things that were happening in the field and wanted to really get back into that space. Uh, long story short, the schools that I applied to said no. However, I knew that if you could tailor synthetic biology in, in a certain way, you know, there's a lot of commercial potential around it. So instead of going to get a PhD, I, I started a, a business, really the goal, very similar to learn more about it and do some exciting things. But, you know, with the company, we have a, a commercial side attached to it where that wouldn't have happened in, in a PhD program. Hmm. So I think you touch upon a little bit 
you know, you, you talked about bringing, you know, making medicine back to the U.S. and lowering costs. Is that the mission of this company? Yeah, definitely. You know, that was that's where we started out with. You know, we wanted to lower uh, the cost of pharmaceuticals. You know, insulin was the easiest point to to launch from. You know, we've started to branch out into some other areas here recently, but but certainly the mission is to to bring those pharmaceutical supply chains back here to the United States. Uh, I'll even take it another step further. You know, more generally, I think biology is is the most powerful technology that we have access to here on this planet. And now in 2021 and, and moving forward, we're just now getting the ability to do some interesting manipulations and be able to power or to harness the power rather of uh, what mother nature has already created. So I, I think we're in a, a really exciting time there as well. I completely agree. And I did a little research because I know insulin is getting, it's kind of a little ridiculous how expensive it's getting. So sure. I did a little research and there's a graph from the insider and it was a 2009 to 2019 comparison of four different insulin brands. And in 2009, they all cost under a hundred dollars. And in 2019, they had risen to between 275 to over $300 for these medications. And, you know, I calculated for inflation and say that each was $98 in 2009, 2019, it'd be $116. So that's still over. It has more than doubled in a 10 year period. Sure. Sure. That doesn't surprise me at all. I don't know. Uh, I haven't seen the specific data that that you're referring to, but uh, that doesn't strike me as being outside the realm of what's been going on here. If you, if you're asking of why I think that that has happened, I think it's a, you know, it's not a single answer. It's a multi multi-fold, you know, you certainly have supply and demand, you know, over the course of those 10 years, the, the prevalence of, of diabetes and, and more specifically type two diabetes uh, increased significantly. Uh, and it unfortunately is, is going to do so for this next decade as well. So, you know, when the, the demand goes up, you know, suppliers are going to charge a little bit more. Uh, I think there's certainly a, a little bit of price gouging there. You know, these companies are still making insulin uh, in, in the same or at least similar ways that they were before. So why the, the increase there, you know, certainly to, to squeeze a, a, a little bit of margin. And you could also say, you know, these companies that, that it costs, uh, multiple millions, if not billions of dollars to run, you know, new investigational uh, drugs through the pipeline and get them out to market certainly is, is not a cheap prospect. So I, I think the problem is multifold. Now you could argue which factors have more of an impact than others, but, you know, it's, it's really being attacked uh, on, on multiple fronts. And to also, you know, hype about the fact that medicine is really like biology driven. I mean, since what the 1940s, uh, we got our first antibiotics, and where did antibiotics come from? They came from microbes, and yeah, of course. Then eventually, we got into creating insulin and other medications, and from microbes, and now we're even developing, you know, probiotics or therapeutics to uh, try to treat dysbiosis in people now. So it is sure. flowering even more and more now. Oh, definitely. You know, I, I, I tend to think of where, what we can be using microbes for in the future, but to your point, I mean, we've been, we've been using them and they've been providing us a lot of benefit for a long time. Now that we're at the stage where we can, 
manipulate those microbes to do what we want or we need them to do even more so, I think is the next logical evolution of what we can use some of these, some of these bugs for and, and how they can help us. Exactly. Now, you mentioned that you're developing microbes to develop insulin, and I was hoping to dive a little bit more into that. Before then, like, so I have a little bit understanding about how insulin is made from bacteria. It's not only bacteria, they also use yeast, I think. But yep, um, yep. it all started in like late 1970s into 1980s because Humulin, which is a drug that's still around today, was the first recombinant DNA tech where or yep. human insulin was part of the market. And before then, the only options were what? Uh, porcine and cow insulin bovine porcine and bovine yeah you got it and those only worked for a while but then people's bodies started rejecting it right or getting or weren't reacting to it so you know this is this was a really imperative thing how do we get human insulin to people and at the time they didn't really know the genetic sequence for the human genome but they knew the amino acid sequence and so scientists were able to make codons to optimize for E. coli to produce uh, the two segments of insulin that made the hormone. And then they purified it. They subjected it to oxygen and created insulin. And they were able to make insulin that way. And I think they did it by putting this DNA onto a plasmid and inserting into the E. coli to express it. I was wondering, how how does your company make insulin? Is it a similar process? Have you made a novel pathway of how to produce it? Sure. So you still need that genetic sequence in, in order to, to get uh, biology or these microbes to, to make it for you. Uh, the, the version that you described is, has been around now for, for several decades. I mean, it's a tried and, and true method. We've, we've been doing it and using it for a while. Where we come in and how I view this as the next step is really the way in which we go about the process. So instead of thinking it as a recombinant type of technology, I mean, we started from scratch. So we wanted to design, really make designer microbes uh, as a type of, you know, to make an analogy as like a miniature factory. You know, we want these microbes to grow and divide. Uh, We want them to produce the compounds that we want them to, you know, in our case, specifically insulin. Uh, And so by starting from scratch, you can, really tailor and further specify these, these microbes to do what, what you want them to do. And by doing so, if you do it correctly, you can get these bugs to, to it increases the amount of, of product yield at the end, and you can do so by several factors. So uh, that's, that's where we come in is more of a, a manufacturing type of uh, next step or evolution. Uh, but the process itself is, is, there's still many parallels between the two systems for sure. Uh, this is kind of a side question. Are you still using plasmids or have you inserted the gene directly into E. coli's genome? Yeah. So plasmids are still a great way to, to do it there. You know, we mm-hmm. have, we have chromosomes as humans and they have plasmids. So, you know, if they already cool. like using specific things, you know, certainly don't need to break those and, and reassemble, reinvent the wheel, uh, if, if you will. You know, there's, there's other areas that we can look at to tailor to get them to express that gene much more than they would under a normal or, or court natural bacteria. Like, can you tell me how exactly you get them to, to coax them into expressing it at a higher level 
than you would normally see? Yeah, sure. So that would definitely be our uh, our IP and, and how we do that. So I'm not going to give away the the keys to the kingdom. I'll just right. say that there are <laughs> there are things that that you can do uh, and program into a cell where it drives certain expression of of what you want it to. Uh, mm-hmm. And I'll I'll leave it at that. <laughs> We've got these <laughs> bugs to 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 make as much product as they as they possibly can. I know. I, I'm, I'm an inquisitive mind, but I know that there's only so much you can give away. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, I'll, I'll let you, uh, you know, take a test drive out of the car and tour it, but uh, I'm not going to tell you how the engine works. <laughs> <laughs> so there's an article that stated that your company has developed at least eight drugs with this approach. What are these drugs and sure. why are you looking to produce these medications? Sure. So I'll, I'll actually start with, with something else. You know, the New York Times recently published an article that showed that 83 out of, the, out of 100 of the top used pharmaceuticals here in the United States are produced solely and entirely offshore. So, you know, 83 out of, out of 100. And so for us, you know, I've talked about insulin up until this point, but that's certainly not the only uh, compound that has potential uh, supply chain issues. And so you mentioned eight. So we want, our goal is to, is to get eight systems uh, perfected uh, and, and working really well for us. Uh, I would tell you right now, um, just due to some bandwidth issues and you know, being an early stage startup, you know, we've only been able to really look seriously uh, at three of those, but you know, you got to start somewhere. Uh, and once we, every time we, we perfect a new model, we want to move on to uh, another one because it represents a, a potential new business line and, and ability to solve some of these supply chain issues that, that we're all facing today. Right. Now, is E. coli the only microbe that you use or are there other species that you work with? Yeah, yeah. So we've actually looked at a couple different vector systems, you know, a, a prokaryotic versus a eukaryotic model differs uh, in some ways you know they're similar in a lot of ways but you know each each method is is inherently unique uh, so we can use more than just e coli uh, i mean you could you can program all sorts of cell types to to do what you want them to do now some are more easily to do that than others um, but but to answer your question you know we we certainly have the ability to, to use more than just uh, an e coli backbone right because i know e coli is the standard just because its genome is the most well-known or the most studied and researched. So that's generally what most people go with if they're going to go with bacterial vector at least. Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely. And to your point, I mean, we've, we've worked with that in research and academia and all sorts and business as well. So extensively that, that, that often represents the easiest and best and best model to, to use. No question. Have any of your products gone to clinical trials as of yet, or are they in the process of starting clinical trials? Not yet. And not because we won't want to, or won't have to go that route. Uh, it's just because that those tend to cost big money and we're, we're just not there yet. Mm-hmm. You know, everything, everything that we've done up to this point has really been innovations in the supply chain and the manufacture of these compounds more than looking to brand a new drug or do something in that regard. We're just interested in how to uh, get higher yields uh, using the systems that, that we already have. So that's where, that's where we've started. Mm-hmm. Now we certainly want to go that route. 
you know, it's, it's one thing to make insulin. It's another thing to have your own branded insulin, but that's something that certainly takes time. It takes money and, and it takes a lot of effort as well. And we're just not quite to that stage yet, but it's on the, it's on the radar for sure. So is there anything else in the pipeline for your company? I know we talked about some other uh, strains, some other products, but is there any other big project your company is working on right now? I think that the biggest thing for us is certainly insulin. So I guess an, an answer to your question is uh, yes and no. You know, insulin is by no means our only potential biological product. It just represents the one with the highest margin uh, and it's a non-specialty pharmacy. Um, mm-hmm. But there's certainly a lot of other areas to get into. You know, you mentioned one of the goals of the company is to have eight, eight models perfected for eight different compounds. So in that sense, those are coming down coming down the pipeline but you know we need to we need to perfect what we set out to do first before we really seriously start to look at other things and and insulin is that that go-to for us now are you working in a laboratory yourself you know i i did initially on this company Uh, i mentioned we got into a research partnership with washington university earlier this year so we not necessarily outsourced, but they do all of our lab work is, is done through them. We've got a, an awesome principal investigator and he's got a team uh, under him that are, that are doing some work for us. So uh, it, it, it definitely helps uh, in that sense. That's really cool. Definitely. definitely. I'm a little biased. I think what we're doing is, is awesome. Uh, I think we had a, a provide a great value to the world and being able to, you know, potentially manufacture these, these drugs that are needed by so many, uh, and possibly lower the price in, in the in the process. So uh, I think it's a win 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 all around. But again, I'm I'm heavily biased when I say that. <laughs> well, yeah, I saw that your goal is to potentially lower the cost of insulin by thirty percent, which is a huge amount. And sure. something on our show that we try to advocate is, you know, a lot of people think that microbes are scary, like your interactions with viral meningitis must have been terrifying at the time, but it's not fun. No, but there's a lot of good that microbes do too. Oh, definitely. Definitely. And, this- and you know, and we're, 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 we just want to be the people that, you know, hop on that, hop on that wave early uh, and we can do a lot of good with what's available to us. So, uh, and I think we can, I don't think a lot of people know like how, much of a workhorse microbes really are in terms of creating medication or just something in general, like DNA manipulation, you can really make a lot of product if you, oh, um, for sure. if you have to be a, a good, uh, microbe whisperer as to say though, in order to do that. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. There's no, uh, no doubt about that. You know, microbes are really the ultimate labor force. Uh, you right. don't have to really pay them a salary or any benefits, or health insurance, dental, nothing like that. You know, hey, we'll uh, we'll put you in a vat with some, with a lot of nutrients. We'll keep it warm for you and give you all the sugar you can eat. I mean, shoot, <laughs> that's the that's the best the best scenario. <laughs> you treat them right, and they'll treat you right. Yeah, definitely, definitely. The microbe whisper, I like I like that. I'm gonna I'm gonna take that from you. <laughs> okay, sounds good. You also said that you got a master's in healthcare management. Would you mind telling us was someone with that degree does as a career? Sure. Well, you know, for, for me, I, I'm, I'm certainly attracted to the, the entrepreneurial side, you know, the, the small business. So, you know, that it took me in that route. I would say, honestly, though, probably a, a lot of various things. I mean, I learned a lot 
about different fields in, in health and medicine. Uh, and there's, there's room to improve all of them. And there's always, there's always a need for continuous Im improvements as well. So I know some of the classmates that I had, uh, several of them went into consulting. Uh, I think a couple of them continued on to either become uh, some sort of, of medical doctor or were in the process of, of doing so while they were taking this degree as well. So, you know, there's not really one subspecialty. It really leaves you open to a lot of, a lot of different potentials within a health and medicine space. And because that space is, is pretty big, there's just a lot of room to maneuver and, and carve out a niche for yourself. This week's episode of The Micro Moment is brought to you by Zymo Research. Accurate and reproducible microbiome analysis relies on well-defined mock community standards as well as optimized methods for sample collection, nucleic acid extraction, library prep, and bioinformatics. Check out Zymo's complete microbiome workflow at zymoresearch.com. That's Z-Y-M-O-R-E-S. E-A-R-C-H dot com. I also saw that you were the co-founder and uh, you were the CEO of Avenus Precision Rx. That was a company that, if I understand correctly, was trying to build an AI-powered prescription uh, guidance platform for type 2 diabetes to really maximize the type of treatment for that patient, right? Sure. So they were the the founders that I launched that company with. I ended up stepping away a couple of years ago and they did a, a pivot into that area. Uh, I think there's a, a big need for that, the advances in AI and, and everything that's happening there. Uh, I think that that is, is a good route to go. There's, there's certainly a need uh, the company initially started as more of, I would say, a pharmacogenomics company. Uh, that's what I ended up doing my graduate thesis in at, uh, at Johns Hopkins. So, um, you know, the, the two are, are similar. You know, you're trying to solve, uh, really trying to solve the problem of precision medicine and how do you deliver upon it? And, and there's a lot of different creative ways uh, in order to achieve that goal. So things are, things are exciting in that space as well. No question. Yeah. Do you have a particular tie to diabetes? I was just curious because I saw that this company also dealt with diabetes. For me, no, not not directly. Um, although I will tell you, more often than not, if, if I talk to somebody, they'll tell me uh, about how diabetes in one way or another has affected them. You know, I've met I've met parents who had a child who had type one, or you know, hey, my uncle, my dad, grandfather, grandmother. I mean, somebody in their in their family had type two. So, you know, there, while it doesn't, I don't have a direct connection to it. I know a lot of people do. I just see diabetes as, as a really big challenge in the health and medicine space. I mean, we can see this, this train barreling down the, down the tracks. Uh, and, you know, we need to find better ways to treat, manage, prescribe, and just really anything and everything in, in the diabetes space. So it, it just really represents a, a big market and is in need of a lot of creative solutions. Right. I mean, 
But a lot of people, you know, they know like diabetes that has to deal with, it affects how your body metabolizes sugar, but the, the effects of the disease is so much more. It can affect things like blood circulation, the structure of your blood vessels, so many other things. It can cause a, a lot of issues further down the line, if not properly treated. Oh yeah, for sure. Well, you know, like that old song goes, you know, the, the leg bones connected to the hip bone. I mean, every, everything is connected in, in one way or another, you know, you start disrupting one area, it's going to have ripple effects in, in lots of uh, different one other, other spaces as well. So mm-hmm. I, I think we can all agree that diabetes is, is a big problem, not only here in the United States, but also abroad. And like I said, you know, there's, there's going to need to be a lot of people working on that and, and a lot of creative solutions in order to, to combat that growing threat. Very true. Just to deviate a little bit, I was wondering if you could tell us the life of someone who is a co-founder and has been a CEO of a startup. Like, how do you, how do you come to that decision in your life or, you know, how do you come to like, you know what, I want to do this. Sure. Sure. Well, one, you have to be able to, you know, there's, there's certainly a financial aspect to, to starting any business. There's also a timing factor. You know, if you're going to launch something or get involved in something like that, you have to understand that, you know, it's going to take up a, a large percentage of, of your time. You know, three, you got to be ready for the fact that it's going to be an emotional roller coaster on any, on any given day, highs, lows, everything uh, in between. It's certainly stressful at times because nothing is guaranteed in the way that, you know, a larger and more established businesses, but you know, if, if you can handle all of all of that risk, it can certainly be very rewarding and a lot of fun as well. But it's certainly not for the faint of heart. Uh, and you really got to be passionate about about what you're doing, because it's going to be it, it, it's a it's a process. What would you say would be the hardest part as a co founder of a startup? Like, what have you found the most difficult uh, starting a company? Sure, just the unknown. You know, you, you think you want to do something or you think it's going to go this way and then you, you start to do it and it may not end up uh, the way that the way that uh, you thought or, you know, maybe you're building a bridge to nowhere and that's never uh, a good thing either. So just a lot of the unknowns around, you know, is the work that you're doing actually going to be meaningful? But again, if, if you can, you know, grind it out you know, you got a good idea, you got a good team, you got a good product, you got good execution, you know, it can be, it can be uh, pretty awesome as well. Mm. So the people that you started this company with, did you know them before starting this company? Yeah. Like, yeah. So my, my two co-founders, one of which was a classmate of mine at Johns Hopkins, uh, who wasn't involved in the first biotech company that I started, but was much better suited and had a skill set that more aligned to what we're doing here uh, at Arbio. Uh, and he actually introduced me to one of his contacts, who's a professor of medicine down here at, at UC San Diego. Uh, so between the three of us, you know, we had the, the mind power and the science knowledge to, to kickstart this thing. And, and uh, in early 2020, we did. Well, I didn't realize it was that short of a time. Yeah, we've only, we've only been around for a couple of years. I think our official incorporation date was February 10th of, of 2020. Now, we had been working on some things before that and putting some pieces together, but officially as a legal entity uh, in February of, of this of last year. So, you know, we've been able to do a lot of exciting things in, in a short amount of time, and we've, we've been successful in, 
areas and been able to move faster in some that I thought we were going to be able to. But, you know, just going back to some of that unknown that I was talking about earlier. But yeah, we've also had a lot of fun doing it and Mm -hmm. we're going to continue to have a lot of fun doing it. I'm sure you've hit some roadblocks along the way. I know when I uh, was doing my master's, there was probably a six month period where I was in the lab and I was banging my head against the wall because just no matter what I was doing, it was not working. And then after a half year, it finally started rolling again. It's just like a huge sigh of relief. Oh, for sure. For sure. I'll tell you, it was terrifying. I mean, when we first got in the lab and first started working on stuff, I mean, at the earliest, earliest stage, you know, we were just operating on an idea and an assumption, really. Um, we didn't have much else. You know, fast forward now a couple of years, we've got a, a, a lot more and have come a long way. Uh, a long way since that, but yeah, I, I, I feel like, I feel like, uh, I can relate to a little bit of that. I'm sure you were feeling a little stressed and while that was happening. So I, I can relate to that a little bit. I think. Exactly. You're just like, maybe I'm just not looking at this the right way and just a frame shift and you get through it. Yeah. And I'll tell you, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of things that things that happen in science uh, <laughs> tend to happen by accident too. So, you know, there's a lot of things that can go wrong, but sometimes those things that go wrong actually end up going right. So, uh, you know, it's just the way it works. Exactly. Actually, during that six month period is when I was trying to incorporate a gene into the E. coli genome. But every time I tried it, E. coli is like, nah, (laughs) we don't don't like it. And it's like, oh, come on. It's like, please. Yeah, they, they can be, uh, they can be interesting to work with, you know, just because you put a foreign gene in there uh, and try to drive that expression doesn't mean that that's actually going to happen. You know, there's a lot of selective pressure that you got to keep on those, on those microbes. And, and, you know, to your point, sometimes they just don't want to, don't want to work. And that's the end of that. So, right. It it happens. They're just not feeling it. And it's like the plasma, they're like, nah, I don't like this. Kick it out. Yep. Yep. Just just like the gym. I know. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. I do. <laughs> so what would you tell someone that's interested in working for a startup company? Yeah. You know, I, I think there's a, uh, this may be a, a nuanced difference, but I think there's a difference between starting a, a company versus working for a, a startup. Um, you know, starting one is, is certainly a higher degree of difficulty because there's a lot of steps and things you have to do. Now, working for one, on the other hand, and, and I'm assuming we're talking about a company maybe with, with 25 to 30 people or, or maybe less, You know, I, I think there's a lot of upsides and excitement in what you're doing because what you do is so important. You know, at, at a larger company, if, if you're a middle manager and you, know, you just don't show up to work for a week, that company is still going to go on and things are still going to happen. Um, but in a startup, if you don't show up for a week, you know, nothing gets done and set the company back. So certain extra degree of responsibility, but as someone who's worked in a startup life and started my own thing, but also worked in some larger companies, there's, there's nothing better than uh, working in a startup or, or starting your own, your own venture. It's way better. <laughs> yeah. It's like you're venturing into the unknown. And like you said, there's a lot less people. I would think that sure. make you feel more important to the company. Like you have well, more certainly. value. Sure, it certainly can. I mean, the, the company exists because of you, right? Or, you know, your contributions to it are quite significant. I mean, you're, you're blazing a trail, right? You're charting into un- unknown territories and you're saying, all right, let's go. And I got this team behind me and we're going to do it, you know? <laughs> uh, so, 
so in that sense, it can it can be fun. But again, there are certainly some downsides and perils to to doing that as well. Exactly. So here's a question that we ask everyone on the show that comes on. What is your favorite microbe? Yeah, yeah, that's a that's an interesting question. I would say for me personally, I like the Dionycoccus radiodurans,、uh, and the reason I like that bacteria the most is because it's really good at repairing DNA damage. Right, it can repair both single and double stranded DNA,、uh, and I think that as a genetic trait, that might be. At the very top, or at least close to the very top, of something that would be of critical importance. You know, if you can repair your your DNA as as a microbe or as a as a larger context, a, an animal or a human, that's hugely、uh, important. So I think in in the coming years we'll probably see some more developments from that strain and harnessing that biologic power. So that would be that would be my my the ultimate microbe. Yeah, I think that's um. That's actually in the Guinness Book of World Records, I think, for the most like it can withstand the most radiation. It's the organism that can withstand the most radiation, I think, because of it, of its ability to repair its DNA. Sure. Yeah. Like I said, that's a great trait. You know, if you if especially if we're talking about traveling through space where radiation can be much higher、mm-hmm. uh, than it than it is here on the surface of the Earth. I mean, we're protected by Mother Nature, but that's not. Always the case when you start talking about interstellar travel or things like that. So being able to repair your DNA is a significant genetic advantage over something that cannot. Yeah, you know, it's also an important distinction. It's like it, it isn't resistant to radiation. It's going to get damaged by radiation, but it can heal itself, and that's it can heal itself. Yeah, yeah, yep. So is that where you're hoping we'll be able to do interstellar travel is by harnessing the power of this species? <laughs> Oh,、uh, you know, never say never. I mean, there's there's discoveries and things that are happening all the time. I think that having a trait like that, you know, certainly is is genetically very favorable. So, like I said, in, in the next several decades, I think that bacteria will become more and more、uh, important to us. Maybe on the realm that we view、uh, E. coli as having great importance now. In the future, that might be、uh, radiodurans. So, you know, we'll see. Who knows. <laughs> I also like it how they found it because they were trying to sterilize canned meat with radiation, and there's a can that went bad, and that ended up being what was in there. That's how they initially found it. Hey, you know, there's a lot of things in science where where things are discovered in a weird way, or you're doing some experiment and you found something else over here. So you know, sterilizing meat turns into fighting the Guinness World Record. Would you say most hardy organism? You know, hey, there's yeah for like radiation, it's it's the number one. We know, of. and I used to joke around with my PI. It's like we we worked with some caustic chemicals to sterilize, and I always said, joked around. It's like if you can find something that lives in it, you study the hell out of it because that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. You got something going on there that's unique. Yeah, exactly. So, where do you see microbiology in five years? Oh man, well that's kind of a loaded question. You know, if you talk about just the field. <laughs> The field itself, you know, imagine five years ago to where we are now. I mean, the the pace that、uh, which advances are are coming out. It's really hard to say. I mean, there's been a lot of really interesting breakthroughs in、uh, oncology research, and a lot of those tend to break away into to other areas as well. So, to answer your question, I'm not sure if I even be. Be able to answer it now. Maybe if you're talking about specific industries or or some things that we're 
coming down the pipeline maybe. But to me, this is the most exciting time that maybe has ever existed in biology because we're now at the threshold of being able to manipulate biology uh, to our, our wish and whim. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we really haven't had that in the past. So we're, we're entering into uh, a brave new world here. I agree completely. I'll narrow the question a little bit for you. Where do you see microbiology in terms of producing medicine in the next five years? Oh man. Well, I'm a little biased when I, when I say that, but (laughs) you know, we're, when I answer this question, but we're going to be light years ahead of where we are now. I mean, I hope to, you know, if you and I do another, another show in five years and we look back and say, what has changed or what has happened in that space? You know, I'd, I'd love to point back to the stat that I mentioned earlier of 83 out of a hundred of the most used pharmaceuticals here in the United States, 83 out of hundred are manufactured offshore. So maybe, maybe in five years, I come back on your show and, and we say, all right, that number is now 50 out of hundred or, you know, 30 out of hundred. I don't know. You know, I, I think that the advances that we've seen there will, will help stabilize our pharmaceuticals here in the U S but that's, man, that's just the start. You can do all sorts of fun stuff with those bugs and, and how you genetically manipulate them. So uh, I think that's just, I think that's just the start, but I know in five years, we'll look back on this and say, all right, we, you know, we were able to, to do the right things in order to, to help solve some of these problems that we have today in 2021. All right. I'm a little biased too. I'm, I'm in the microbiome research. So I'm hoping that we'll see several call them therapeutics for restoring microbiomes in people in the next five years. Sure. Sure. You know, like yeah. I said, you, and you could do a whole show, if not multiple shows on, you know, just uh, asking people, Hey, what's the future here? I, I think you, I think you come up with some really interesting, uh, some really interesting things and examples of what, what people are expecting over the next five years. Hmm. Very true. And I think all sorts of medicine will be produced by microbes. I mean, not only are we going to have antibiotics, we're going to have insulin. I mean, we already have insulin, but hopefully we're going to have more insulin in the not too distant future. You could do all, all sorts of stuff. I mean, if you apply AI into biology, I mean, you could write whole new metabolic pathways. You could just, you could reshape the way manufacturing is done. You don't even need any equipment or anything. You just get biology or microbes to do it for you. You know, that to me is pretty cool. That's like a science fiction world that if you had told me when I was younger, I'd have been like, wow, that's super cool. But, you know, now we're here at that point and I'm like, yeah, that actually is super cool. And I can't wait for the next five years. Right. Oh, maybe we'll just see a lot more fermenters in the future, making a lot of drugs for people to use. You know, we got server farms. Let's, let's make, you know, fermentation farms, you know, it's uh, that's the future. I couldn't agree more actually. Is there anything else you'd like to talk about with our bio before we head out? I think we've, we've done a really good job of, of diving in and, and uh, you pressing me in a, in a couple areas. I would just say to your listeners, if you know, there's anything that I've said or that's interesting, you want to discuss more or just for any reason, you know, my email is Cameron at our bio.online. Uh, you also visit the website, www.rbio.online. And uh, yeah, we'd, we'd love to hear from you. I mean, I'm a, I'm a microbiology nerd myself, and I, I love the science of what we're doing. And, and uh, again, I'm heavily biased, but I know we're, we're working on some pretty cool things here and open to uh, open to connection. All right. Well, thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me. Like I said, in five years, we'll do a follow-up, and uh, we'll talk about how, how microbes have impacted uh, manufacturing over that time. All right. I'll pencil it in now. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs>
And that concludes our interview with Cameron Owen. We wish him the best and can't wait to hear more updates about his company's progress with medications from our microbial factories. If you liked our episode, you can check more out by searching The Micro Moment on every major podcast player. Or you can head over to our website, microbialhealth.com, where you will also find our blog that is updated regularly. That's M-I-C-R-O-B-I-G-A-L-S dot com. You can also hit us up on Twitter at Microbigales or Facebook by searching for Microbigales. Have a good one, everyone. And remember to be thankful for microbes this Thanksgiving. Without them, we would not have some of the most important medications out there today. Bye.